The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We've been looking at the Psalms, and so we're just kind of picking up where we left off. And Psalm 34 is actually one of my personal favorites. Um, and so here's what I'm going to pray for God to help us, and then we will start looking at this Psalm together. Father, we thank you. Um, for all that you're doing in our church and in our city. And God, we pray that you would help us to not be people distracted by doing stuff, even though those are great things that you are calling us to and giving us the grace to do. But God, we pray that we would be people who enjoy you. And so we ask that you would use this psalm in our hearts tonight to be people who enjoy you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I... um. So to begin with, I've had a migraine all day, so I might, my, my thought process might be a bit off <laughs> tonight. But one of the things that has been on my mind today is this, oh, this instance that happens at the beginning of Jesus' life, uh, his ministry in the book of John. Um, and if you know the book of John, you know that it starts out with this big kind of sweeping, in the beginning was the word, these big statements, and then it goes right into talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is this guy, you know, who's kind of like a hipster before it was cool, right? I mean, he wore all the, he wears like the organic camel hair, and he eats the organic bugs, and he eats the organic honey, um, and all that stuff. And so he's out there telling people like, hey, like I'm not the dude, even though I run a coffee shop in the desert. The dude, Jesus is the guy that you're looking for. So Jesus shows up. And uh, John's like, he's the guy, he's the one. And two of his followers come after Jesus, and they go after to follow Jesus. And so I just want to, as, our, as we're looking at Psalm 34, it was just, it, this, this moment struck me as it relates to Psalm 34. In the beginning of John chapter 1, it says, uh, So the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked, and Jesus was walking, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, Come and you will see. And we're not going to preach on John, but I just find it fascinating that here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his life with his, with, with his disciples, of showing us what God is like, of what it's like to know God, his statement of, where do I meet God? What is it like to know God? His statement was, it wasn't, well, go to the conference, get the books, go to the synagogue. It was, come and see. Come and be with me and see what it's like to know God, to be with God, to experience God. And that's actually, as we turn to Psalm 34, that's a, that's a bit of the connection of what's going on here with Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is not telling you... Um, Here's what it means to be a Christian. You do these things. Psalm 34 is telling you the heart of what it means to be somebody who knows God is to enjoy God. It's it's an invitation. Come and see. Like Jesus says to his disciples here, come and see what God is like. So that's what we're looking at in Psalm 34 is this picture of being invited to know God, to experience God, to know what he's like. Um, there's There's this thing that happens all through the Bible um, that we become what we worship, that we become like what we worship. Um, you see this, like, uh, you, you ever notice, like, the animals look like, uh, sometimes animals tend to look like their owners. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like you, like, you look at the cat, and you're like, man, like, that cat, like, just the, 
the way he kind of like does his thing. Like it, I was going to put pictures of that, but I, on the screen, but I thought that might have been a little indicting for some people. But you know how uh, sometimes those things that we adore in our lives we become like them, right? When you get, talk to a musician, like what were your influences? They'll say, you know, Bon Jovi was my influence, or you know. Um, Snoop Dogg or whoever, like, what are my influences? And they'll talk about their influences, the thing that shaped them, right? So Jesus' invitation at the beginning of his life was, come and see. Be shaped by me. And what's happening in this psalm here is David is basically saying, come and see what has shaped my life. Because what's been going on for David as we've been looking at, at this psalm, as we're looking at this psalm, this is one of the few psalms where it kind of gives you a bit of like historical context. Like this psalm happened at this point in David's life. And what's going on in David's life when this happened is David um, was basically kind of like uh, hat tip to be the king, right? They kind of said he's going to be the king. Um, and Saul, who was the king, is not going to be a good guy, going to not work out for him. And David um, is, uh, he's got this campaign going on where he is leading Israel in war. Right, it's um, he is leading Israel in war, and the the slogan that's going around, kind of like the the campaign slogan that's going on, is uh, Saul, the current king, he's killed his thousands. David's killed his ten thousands. And because you can imagine, Saul gets a little kind of ticked off at this, and David flees, and he flees into the arms. He goes to hang out with all uh, one of the opposing countries in the area. So I'm going to hang out with these guys, and what they try to do is they realize like oh, we've got, like, the Tom Brady, like, with us right now. Like, this is the guy, <laughs> this is the guy who can make it happen, and he could actually overthrow Israel. Like, he could, he could change us in our favor, right? So now David's, be, in his desire to not get in, like, this conflict with Saul, the king at the time, um, he goes to this foreign country to kind of find refuge there, and ends up becoming a, uh, playing in like this political punditry. Like he becomes like a political pawn, right? And so what happens is with David is he kind of like pretends to be totally insane. <laughs> so it's like he like kind of like acts like you know what I'm talking about like when people are a little like they like drool and crazy stuff like that. And it's what it's right there. First Samuel 21, right? That's where the story goes. And um, he kind of does this like crazy stuff, and they, they're like, ah, like this is not the Tom Brady we thought he was, anyways. Um, what, and so David gets to flee and go back to doing his David thing. So that's kind of like the context of what's going on with this psalm. Um, and what's fascinating, what, the reason that that's important is because the reason that that is mentioned at the beginning of the psalm is to say, look, I worship God. This is what David's saying. Look, I worship God, and all this crazy stuff. That's not how God is. God's not crazy. But I won't be, I won't have any other gods but God. I won't worship any other gods but the true God. I won't live and follow any other gods but the true God, right? I'm not going to become this political pundit or, you know, pawn for these other guys. I'm going to, I'm going to follow the true God and be with him and be like him. And so, and the heart of this psalm is this call. Like Jesus says, come and see we see in Psalm 34, we're going to be looking at is that those who enjoy God follow God. It's real simple. Those who follow God, those who enjoy God follow God. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to cut this psalm in half. We're going to we're going to start out by looking at finding joy in God. Right? What does that? What does it mean to find joy in God? We've been talking about enjoying God. Will you worship? Will you will you delight in? That changes you. So we're going to be looking at what does it mean 
to find joy in God, and then we're going to look at um, finding wisdom in joy. Because we're talking at the heart of the psalm is this reality of those who enjoy God follow God, following God. That's that's wisdom. Enjoying God is at the heart of what the psalm is about. So we're going to start out by looking at first ten verses. If you look at that with me, finding joy in God. So finding joy in God. I'm going to read these ten verses for us, and then we're going to start looking at them together. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see, hear this invitation, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, and those who fear him, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So here in these, the first ten verses, there's three things that are going on, right? There's this, this uh, invitation to finding joy in God uh, with our energy, with our fears, and with our desires. So I'm just going to, we're going to look at the first three verses with our energy, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together, right? There is a lot of energy that's going down and finding joy in God, right? He is putting all of his effort, right? The invitation is use your words, right? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, right? Words, using words. I'm going to use all my words to find joy in God, to delight in God, to say, talk about who he is and what he's done. And, fun, and then in our heart, my soul mag, makes its boast in the Lord with the humble hear and be glad, right? This heart posture. So it's heart and words. I mean, I'm not sure what else you could say. I mean, hands, right? There's a psalm, so he's probably calling people, like, pick up your instruments, do your thing. We're going to sing some real crazy songs, and we're going to bless God and make him look great. And what's interesting here is that his invitation to bless the Lord all my soul, finding, using all of his energy to find joy in God, is that it is making much of who God is, saying this is God and this is who he is and what he's like. And this is David. Remember the mantra about David this time? Right? Saul's killed his thousands. David's killed his ten thousands. David's got a pretty good rep going on. And he could be saying, like, look, I've got this great stuff going on. God's made me look great. Aren't I great? Buy my albums. You know, pick up my book. I'll be doing book signings. My name's awesome. David's not doing that. David is making, he is celebrating who God is, and he's pointing his attention, drawing our attention. Look, we're going to celebrate God's victories. All the stuff that's happened in my life, it's not anything that I've accomplished because I'm so great. I'm just dust with a little bit of some air and blood pulsing through it. This is what God has done. All the energy that I have, all the energy that I have that I've done these things with, or energy in the head that you have, this is all given to us so that we can say, God is great. And this is what he's done, right? I mean, I'm sure if we were to sit down with David, say, David, tell us 
why should we magnify the Lord with you? Right? Let us exalt his name together. David would probably start telling us, well, look, God, God's done this for me. He's done this for me. He's done this for me. David is using all of his energy. He's calling us with all of his energy, everything about us, to find joy in God. Right? Because whether it's the small things of like, if we're going to sit down for dinner here and say, God, thank you for this food that I did not create out of nothing or grow or provide the rain for or provide the sun to grow. God, thank you that I get to enjoy this. This is basically your work, God, and I get to enjoy it. Like it's small things like that or like, God, thank you for delivering me from my sin and delivering me from um, oppression. God, thank you for changing my life. God, thank you for this job that I could never have imagined getting or just thank you that I have a job <laughs> to provide for me. All the, all the stuff that gives us energy or provides for us, those are all things that God's given us. And David, David is saying, everything about our lives is on the table for saying, I want to find joy in God. I want to enjoy God because he's the one who's given everything. So then he says, not only do we fusing all of our energy to find joy in God, but finding joy in God with our fears. This might surprise you because here David starts out by saying like, isn't God great? Look at what he's done. He's done these magnificent things. He's provided everything for me. And now I'm going to tell you about all the scary stuff in my life. <laughs> like, I don't know, it doesn't seem like normal to me. But you remember, David has just come out of this, like, he was like a political pawn. Like, he could have, like, gotten his head chopped off. He could have been used for any sort of thing. But he is saying, look, all the fears of my life, look, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he deli- and delivered me from all my fears. I think it's fascinating because we could say, well, if he had just said he delivered me from my fears, right? Not all my fears, but just my fears. We could just say with David, like, oh, well, David's just kind of talking about, you know, like he just got out of like this really difficult situation, and now he's kind of moving on with his life. But he's saying he delivered me from all my fears, like that. That's, pretty, that's a pretty audacious claim, right? Are you afraid of anything? No, I've been delivered from all my fears. That's, these are all the what-ifs of life. I think that's what David's looking at. He's saying, look, God, God is so great and so good to me. He's delivered me from the power of all the what-ifs of life, right? Did you ever have, do you have the what-ifs? The what-ifs of, God, what if I'm single for the rest of my life? God, what if I never had the children that I thought I was going to have? God, what if I never, um, what if this job is the only job I ever have? God, what if, what if something happens to my kids? God, what if the, the cancer comes back? God, what happens um, if I lose my job? God, what happens if my spouse dies? I mean, here you get some real dark what ifs, right? These are all the what ifs. The what ifs of what the li- of life would be like if God were not true, because it just as a general rule, here's just a way to think about what it, fears in our lives: fear of the future, fear of what could be. What ifs? It's imagining a world where God isn't true. It's imagining a world without God. Anxiety, same thing that goes with fears, is imagining a future without God. 
right? Because David has just spent the first three verses saying, I will bless the Lord, this, this God who makes promises to weak and sinful and weary people like us <laughs> and keeps them, right? Even when we're like giving God the finger and walking away, he keeps them. <coughs> and I sought the Lord, one who does these great things for people who reject him all the time. And he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Right? This is a God whose promises are true. Not because we're, we've earned them or done enough to make God happy with us or done enough to get God to like cash in on a little bit of them. Right? If we have God with us, if we are focusing our, our thoughts and attention on God, and we see that we have him, like what, are the, what power do the fears have over us? I, things did not turn out the way I wanted. But the Lord delivered me from all my fears because, verse 4, I sought the Lord. I, I got God. <laughs> I, get, I get God. Like, we get God and our fears, though they, we're going to talk and we're going to see that afflictions happen, right? So it doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. But it does mean that when we walk through difficulties, our fears, when we've handed them over to God, we realize, like, God is more powerful than even the darkest reality that I could imagine. Because he goes on to say, right, we're talking about, remember how we were talking about how animals become like their, they look like their masters? Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Right? This is where we, when we talk about, we become like what we worship, we become what we worship. I mean, this is what that verse means. Those who look to him, God who is, joyful and happy and smiling for all eternity. When we look at him, our faces have become radiant. And one of the things that Jesus says is incredible. He says that those who trust in God will shine like the stars. That's one of his crazy promises. He's like, all you people who are kind of like, you know, you need to take a shower every day and you got to like change your hair or, you know, shave your head. All the crazy things that you've got going on that make you, you know, you got to like keep yourself up. If you trust in God, your face will shine like the stars. It's incredible that we become like God. Not that we become God, right? So I'm not saying you guys get a little wand and we all become gods and we all get our little planets and all that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we become like God. We we radiate light. We, We enjoy God because it's God that we get. And it, when we get God, it changes everything about who we are. We become Godward focused. We become like God. We, we want God. We want things that bless God and please God. We want things in our lives that reflect God. Like we, want a, we want a world that orbits around the universe of God. So then in verse 6 he says, This poor man cried, Right? That's us, just so you know. That's everyone in here. We are all poor men and women who cry out to God. And what is the response? And the Lord heard him. This poor man cried, and he heard me, and he saved me from all my troubles. Remember, if all, if I get God, and God is the one who has power over the universe and everything that happens in my life, even the consequences of my bad choices, all my fears can can lay their head to rest in God's presence. And all my troubles are met with God's power to help me in them. Right? God, God comes in and helps us. Right? 
So where do you, what do you fear? What's the thing that you're, if you were to say like, you know what, 10.30 at night or 1 o'clock in the morning, whatever is late for you, when I'm thinking about the things that aren't, that today did not achieve, things that didn't happen today, I didn't meet the person I want to spend the rest of my life with, I had a bad day at my job and I don't think I want to be here for the rest of, you know, for work. I think my, my, you know, my family, I don't, don't know Jesus. Um, my neighbors hate me or my family is attacking me for no good reason. Um, whatever those fears or anxieties are, right? We could go like in real, real dark ones. The Lord saves us from those things ruling us. And why? Verse 7. The Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. Right? I don't know if you guys remember when we preached through the book of Exodus. Remember when Moses interacts with the angel of the Lord? What we were seeing there is that's, that's the presence of God. That, that's the, that you might say that that is Jesus before he takes on a human body. Protecting his people. So here we have the angel of the Lord comes and protects. Flexes his arm. Holds you near protects you from all the troubles that could come after you, right? So here we are, David's saying, right? David's been saying, I'm going to use all my energy to bless God. I'm going to use all my energy to find my joy in God. I'm going to use everything I have. And then all the things that would drain me, all the fears and troubles of life, I'm going to bring those to God too, right? All the good stuff I want to bring to God. All the bad stuff I want to bring to God. And then we get God, <laughs> Right, so we go on, we're going to look at verse 8. If you pick up with me, he, is then, he goes on saying, not only do I bring my energy and my fears, but finding joy in God with our desires. Right? The heart, the heart stuff in the middle of you. All the things, the things that you long for in this world. Verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman who takes refuge in him. You know what's fascinating is that the Bible's call to have joy in God, it uses like like sensory, like visceral realities of our lives. Like you know, like a good meal. <laughs> like that's kind of like the image is calling to mind, right? Like if you're a foodie, like I just I just the, the taste of a good steak, right? And potatoes with butter on it, a little bit maybe gravy if that's your thing. Some like roasted veggies on the side. Um, for those of you who enjoy wine or beer, like a good wine to go with that, it's a good taste that God is good. Or have you ever seen like like a picture where you're just kind of like, whoa, like I could not imagine that that exists in the world. Like have you ever seen like pictures of like galaxies and stars and you're like, whoa, like that exists? Or you like, you walk, I don't know if, you know, you're somebody's flipping through somebody's Instagram account and you're like, whoa, like that's a cool vacation spot. Like, wow, that's really cool. Or like you see a picture of the Grand Canyon. You're like, holy cow, like that is massive. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Right, see the invitation here is to say like, God, God is good. And it's not just kind of like something that you kind of like think about and say, like, you know what? Two plus two equals four, and L O R D, the Lord is good. 
right? It's not just kind of like an analytical thing. Like it's kind of like you think about it and it's like, oh, like God's good, right? Like he's out there and he's got to be good someplace. No, there's something that you're supposed to like feel and experience and know. Jonathan Edwards, he's a uh, preacher a couple of hundred years ago um, out in New England. And one of the things, he used this image to describe this reality. He used this image of saying like, um, delighting in God is like our relationship with honey, right? You don't taste, you don't like think honey is good and it tastes good and never eat it, right? Like you put honey on toast and you taste it, right? Somebody who thinks that God is good and has never experienced it is like somebody who thinks that honey is good and says honey's good, but has never tasted it. The invitation of this verse is to say, you need to taste and experience that God is good to you. That's, that's what God has designed you for. God has designed you to respond to God with joy and gladness, right? Like, I don't know what your picture of God is or what you grew up hearing about God or your experience with, with the Bible, but at the heart of the Bible is not do this, do this, do this. <laughs> that's not the invitation of the Bible. The invitation of the Bible is enjoy him, enjoy him, enjoy him, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. What this means is that God is good. God is good in who he is. He's happy and he's joyful all the time for all eternity. And then he has made you to respond to him by enjoying him and seeing him and seeing what he's like, right? Right, it's like a rock, right? A rock does not, like, when it receives the light from the sun, like a rock just gets hot, right? Like it doesn't like do anything with that. God did not make you to be like a rock with his glory and his goodness and his joy. So you just kind of like, you get warmed by it and then it's just out there, right? It's more like solar panels. Like you were made to receive and see the goodness and, and glory and joy of God. And then it powers you up. <laughs> it feeds you. It satisfies you. You're supposed to taste and see that God is good. Right? That, is, that is your main purpose in life. Your main purpose in life is to see who God is and to enjoy him. I don't know what you, have you ever heard that before? But your main purpose in life is not to do the chores and to tithe and to be a good citizen and to drive on the right side of the road and to pay your taxes and to love your neighbors. Those are all good things to do, right? Your main purpose in life, what this verse is saying, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, is to enjoy God. You are supposed to, with everything that you have, take all your energy, all your fears, you are designed to take those to God. And then you get God. I think one of the most important things that we can be doing in our Christian lives is to increase our joy in God. This is a challenge for me. I just want to hold this off for myself because I get so focused on like, do I, you know, what's the next action item to do? What's the next agenda item? Or what am I failing to do? I'm such a horrible person. The most important thing you can do in your Christian life is to put every effort in increasing your joy in God. What I would recommend just off the bat, like if you're looking like, how do I do that? A little book by John Piper called Taste and See. It's right out of this verse. 
It's free online. Like, you have no excuses. It's a little PDF, and it's the only book that John Piper says. That, like, I've heard him do interviews where he's like, I don't read any of my books, but I do go back and kind of review this one because I need it. Taste and See by John Piper. Fantastic. And he's got a little app, too. Like, if that's your thing, like you want an app, right? Solid Joys. It's a little daily devotion. Solid Joys. It takes, like, one little verse. Matt, you use it, right? Really good. Yeah, I mean, it just... It's just going to fuel your soul to taste and see that God is good. And then just one other idea, just like tonight, what you could do with your journal, just go take a piece of paper or a journal if you journal or a piece of paper from a scrap around, you know, take all that recycling you get in the mail and use the back of it and just say, what has God done for me? How has God shown his goodness to me today or this week? And then just start thinking, what are things that I did not deserve that I got this week? <laughs> God gave me air to breathe. <laughs> I don't deserve, I, I have no claim to oxygen in this world, right? I don't have a patent on it. And God gave plenty of it, enough to fuel my body and to give oxygen to my brain, put it in my bloodstream. I got food this week that I didn't deserve. I had friends who talked to me and cared about me. Yeah, they might not have been the best of friends, but they were friends nonetheless, right? I, God gave me his word. I, I have a Bible that I can open God saved me. He gave me his spirit. He gave me Jesus. He kept me alive. You, you can go down the list. Like I, I'm not going to do it for you because you can do it. <laughs> but answer the question, how have I seen God's goodness? And then take those things and like, like, like wood for the fire, right? Your soul is a fireplace. And all these little things that you're doing, looking for the goodness of God, how has God been good to me? It's like chopping wood. Looking at Bible, re, I mean, if you want to fuel your soul with God, read the Bible. If you're struggling for where to go, go, for, go to the Psalms, like where we're at, the Philippians or Ephesians, or the Gospel of John, and just start chopping it up and throwing it in your soul so that you can see the world that God has made, how he's been good to you. Taste and see that God is good, that he has been good to you. Right? That, that is the invitation of this psalm. The invitation of this psalm is at the heart of it is going after your, what do you enjoy? Do you enjoy God? The invitation is, he's been good. He is good. He delights. So the end of the psalm, we're going to look at the end of the psalm because one of the things you could do with this is you could say, okay, that's great. I love all the feels. Like I, I want to get all the feels about God. God is all after me enjoying him and tasting and seeing that he's good. But that does change how I live, right? Because we become like what we worship. When you enjoy God, when you delight in him, it changes how you live. It changes what you do with your life. It changes how you respond to the, to the things that happen in our life. So that's what we're going to see here, the last half of the psalm, finding wisdom in joy. So just 11 through 22, right? So we look, pick up... Uh, there in verse 11, come, O children, listen to me, right? If you ever read the book of Proverbs, like that's Proverbs language, like straight through, like come and listen, O children, basically saying you people who don't know anything, come and listen to me because I know stuff, right? Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good, right? Do you want to live the good life? This is what the good life looks like if you want true joy. Right, so he's going to go through and lists out five things 
for what it means to find wisdom and joy. I'm just going to, I'm going to, we're going to go over them real quick. Verses 13 to 14, right? It's wise words. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from seeking, speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it, right? Did, did you know that the book of Proverbs has more to say about how you use your words than has anything that more to say about how you use your words than it does to say about sexuality. Like there's more capita verses about how you use your words than any other category in the Proverbs, right? Which it's astounding to realize like what you do with your words reflects your heart. It reflects what's important to you, where you go when you get angry, where you go when you get frustrated, where you go when you're happy, where you go when you're jealous. It, it reflects all the motions of your heart, which is more important, maybe to say, than all the other categories you could talk about. So when you know God and you have you've experienced, right, verses one through three, right, I will bless the Lord all times. I want to use all my words to bless him, <laughs> right? And then in verse six, this poor man cried. What happens when I cry out to God? He graciously responds and helps me. So that means that my words, no matter how, you know, much of a jerk people could be to me, I want, I want to wisely respond to be like God who's gracious, right? My, my words begin to reflect this gracious God that I enjoy. Verses 15 to 16, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Right, this is wise choices. Right, this is just recognize that wherever you go, whatever you're doing, every moment of the day, 24-7, 365 days a year, you are doing everything in the, in the face of God. God is present wherever you are. And your choices reflect what, is it, what does it mean to know God and reflect it. If you're going to live on your own and do your own thing apart from God, this is the verse that says that the, your memory will be cut off from the earth, Right? God's people inherit the earth. The people who are against God get cut off from the earth. That's the picture from the whole Bible, right? But our choices, when we know God, right? And we know that we're those people who should be cut off from the earth. But God's been kind to us and gracious to us to help us. We don't make choices that are wise. We want to, we want to reflect God, right? Wisdom is, simply, wisdom is simply living in God's world, right? That's all that wisdom is. Wisdom is living in God's world because apart from wisdom, we live in God's world, but we try to pretend like it's not God's world, right? Like it, we can define it in our own terms. Wisdom is living, making our choices in the reality that this is God's world. He goes on to say that we have uh, wise troubles. I don't know if you would think about that with this, but when we find joy in God, we have, we have wisdom for our troubles. When the righteous cry, verse 17 and 18, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This is one of my favorite, when I'm sure when you and I have talked about suffering or trial, this is almost always the first verse I go to. When you have troubles in life, when things are not going the way you thought they would, where do you go with them? Where does God go with them? The picture of this verse is that in your troubles and all your sorrows, the things that aren't going the way you thought, God comes and sits right next to you. Right? We, we tend to, uh, 
when we have troubles, we stuff our face with ice cream, we go to our favorite addictions, we go to our, whatever is going to relieve the pressure and strain, right? That's where we go. But when we realize that God is a joyful God who's eager to deliver us from all of our troubles, he's eager to deliver us from all our troubles, not just eager to deliver us, but eager to be with us in all of our troubles, we, we take our troubles to God. Right? We go to him, right? The, the, a wise response to the troubles of life is to go to God with our troubles and not to act like, God, you've messed up my plan. Just to respond to God and take him to God because he's eager to sit there with us. Verses 19 and 20, we see wise help. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of, uh, delivers, the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. Now that might seem like a weird verse, right? Um, God's going to deliver everybody who doesn't have broken bones. <laughs> if you ever had a cast, tough luck. That's not what this verse is about. What this verse is saying is at, at the time there would have been kind of like this perception um, in a certain way um, that uh, broken bones meant that you were somehow defiled beyond use, right? Um, that you couldn't be used anymore or actually that in the resurrection to come that you wouldn't have been able to be resurrected. I'm not exactly sure how they worked that out, but that was kind of the idea. And what's going on is basically saying, like, God, you cannot go beyond God's ability to, to help you, right? God, God will always help those who trust in him, right? You can't be broken beyond his help. It also means that just as a correction to our New England American kind of way of doing things, we don't like to ask for help. <laughs> That's just a, an observation from countless conversations in my own heart, right? I, when I have like things that are not going the way I want them to, I don't tend to ask for help. Maybe you do the same thing. I'll get through it. It'll be okay. I'll you know figure it out tomorrow, right? This picture <laughs> is... Yeah, but you actually are helpless. Like, you actually need help. And God is eager to help you, right? You can't do it on your own, right? God steps in into every one of our, of our needs, and he helps us. And then verse 21 and 22, the last two verses of the psalm, we see our, a wise identity. Affliction will slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, it's fascinating that there's these two uses of the word condemned here at the end of this verse, these verses, right? Verse 21, the righteous, uh, those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Those who take refuge in him will not be condemned. Right? Be, this is because when we find our refuge in God, a God who helps sinful, broken people, who loves to give us help and grace and mercy, there's nothing that can condemn us. There's nothing, and to be condemned means you get everything you deserved without God's help. Well, if you're getting God's help, you get nothing that you deserve, right? You don't get the full portion of what you deserve when you get God's help. That's what's being held out in these verses. And what's fascinating is that, so we're looking at what does it mean to be finding wisdom and joy, right? When we know God, when we find out God has made us to be like cups that constantly get filled with his joy and to enjoy him, right? And what does that, how does that shape us? We use our words differently, right? We make choices that are different. 
we take our, the troubles and afflictions of life and we do stuff that's different with them. We don't get sunk by them. We take them to God. We go to God for help, right? We don't just try to treat God like a neighbor with a fence between us. We go to God and ask him for help. And then we find our true identity. We, we live our lives. All of our choices aren't based on our own desires or our, our own agenda. We go to God with our identity. It was fascinating is this ver- these last few verses, they get quoted twice in the New Testament. I don't know if you're thinking about this. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. That's quoted in John 19, in the crucifixion of Christ. It's quoted directly. And what John is pointing to in the crucifixion of Christ is that when we, remember when we preached through the book of Exodus and the Passover lamb, not one of its bones were to be broken. Right? This, this verse is picking up on that reality. Not one of the bone, bones of the Passover lamb is to be broken, which means that Jesus was the perfect, the perfect servant of God. He was the perfect David, right? David was a jerk who later did some really bad stuff. <laughs> Jesus was not a jerk who lived a life perfectly in the face of God, right? He lived a perfect life, making the perfect choices at every moment in in front of God to bless other people and to fulfill God's plan. And he was perfect in every way. And then he offers himself, right? He doesn't get kind of like tricked into, like David got kind of like tricked into this political situation. Jesus walks into the crucifixion, bold-faced, out of love. Not one of his bones were broken, but his heart was ripped apart. His bones were not broken. He was perfect in every way. To be the substitute, the sacrificial lamb. Remember how we looked at John 1? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was the perfect lamb. Right? Never, nothing wrong with him. But he laid his life down for all of us who have made unwise decisions at every point in our lives. Right? We have used our words as weapons against people. We've not said the things that we should say. We've made horrible choices with our lives in one way or another. We have done things in our own hearts, whether we've done them with our hands or with our bodies or with anybody else. We've done things in our own hearts that have been a clenched fist towards God. We have taken our troubles and used them as weapons against God. We've not asked for God's help. We have refused to find joy in God, which is what we were made for. And Jesus knows all, knowing all of that, right, that we are we are just poor, helpless creatures. <laughs> this poor man, verse 6, we are poor and helpless people. But Jesus, who is perfect in every way, he offers his life in our place. A perfect substitute so that we, we can be saved from all of the ruin of our life. To be welcomed into the blessing of God. So that we can, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is not wrathful towards us, but the Lord is good to us. Right? That, that is why John, at the end of G, describing the, the crucifixion of Christ, he sees this reality. Right? Not one, Jesus was perfect. Not, nothing was wrong with him. Not one of his bones were broken. Right? Nothing about him was wrong. Which means that now in Jesus, that's how God treats us. Nothing about us in Jesus is wrong, right? We still sin, we still ask for forgiveness, but we are becoming like our king. We are becoming like Jesus. As we look to him and delight in him and see him and treasure him, we become more like him. 
And the other second place that this gets quoted in the New Testament is 1 Peter 3. It's actually a huge section of it. Verse 12 to 16, I think. Because Peter is looking at our lives. We are in Jesus, right? And now Jesus' story becomes our story. And just as David went out into the world and lived among people who didn't know God and made much of God's name and was delivered from all of his trials and troubles. And just as Jesus went out into a world that didn't know God and told people about who God was and loved his neighbor selflessly and treated people the way that they, the, uh, the way he wanted to be treated and blessed other people, right? Just the way Jesus went out into people who didn't know God to teach them about God and love them for God. First Peter 3 says, we're just like that. We live, all of our neighbors, all our city, they, they, they don't know Jesus, but we're, we're now joining God and going out into a world that does not know Jesus to tell them about, about Jesus so that we can be wise with our joy because we enjoy God and, be, and enjoying God, we become wise in how we live among our neighbors so that we can teach them about who Jesus is. Show them about what it means to find joy, not in TV, food, sex, games, you know, whatever our addictions are. We can, we can begin to show them this is a life shaped, shaped by God, enjoying God. It, it lives differently. That's right. The heart of this psalm is not do, 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 do. The heart of this psalm is to enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Those who enjoy God, follow God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm. And Father, we ask that as we look at it together, that we would taste and see that you are good. God, that you are good to us. God, would we come to Jesus tonight and see that he's good and taste and see it and enjoy it together. And will we have the wisdom in our joy to follow you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.